The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, this is Eric Powell, creator of The Goon, and you are listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 238, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, January 6th, first show of the year, dude. My name is Matt Baum, it's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. That's false. It's our first show of the year. We recorded a show last year. That was the our last that week. Blows. I know, but this is our first proper show of Episode the year. Episode 237. Oh, it's no. in the even Please. it's even in the numbering. It is our first proper show. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baum seen on the Twitter. And when I'm not drumming the up Milestone episode 238. <laughs> Shut up. When I'm not drumming up evidence out of thin air to convict creators of making crappy comics, I'm writing the comic speculator blog for wordpoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at Joe Patrick 116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not forcing confessions out of unsophisticated readers to back up another of my miscarriages of comic reviews. What are these references? Uh, I've been watching too much Making a Murderer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I might actually be working on the Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. Uh, I don't know. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our reviews of Spider-Man and Deadpool, number one, and Swamp Thing, number one. After that, Joe and I will review 10 more of this week's new comics, faster than we can deal with some pesky lizard patriots during the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the ghost of Lemmy visits us to talk about next week's comics. And finally, the comic pushers are back, y'all, dealing copious amounts of highly addictive comic product to one unlucky comic junkie. Do I have to rap in front of Periscope? Absolutely. They're not even going to have the music. Doesn't matter. They're still going to see you rapping. So, put on your pants, boys, because this ain't no French sausage party. It's ladies' night in the ziggurat, so make yourselves presentable, please. And then, we'll talk about this week's big news! Big news! So, Matt, you know that I'm a big fan of Gene Luen Yang. Do you still love his Superman? It's okay. It's fine. It's better than it was. You were way more excited for it than you are now. I was way more excited about it at the beginning. Now I'm just like, eh. But we're not talking smack about the guy. Here's a cool thing, though. The Children's Book Council, uh, Every Child a Reader, and the Center for the Book Okay. In the Library of Congress. The Center for the Book? It just says (laughs) Center for the Book. You're right. CFB. Have announced the appointment of Gene Luen Yang, award-winning graphic novelist, also writer of Superman, as National Ambassador for Young People's Literature. Okay. Not sure what that means. I'll tell you. Sounds adorable. Yeah. (laughs) The program was established by the three organizations in 2008. Uh, To highlight the importance of lifelong literacy, education, and the development and betterment of the lives of young peoples. Yang will travel nationwide over the course of his two-year term promoting his platform, which is called Reading Without Walls. Showing kids and teens that reading is a vital part of their lives and speaking to parents, teachers, librarians, everyone invested in young people's literacy about how better to connect with kids and teens and help them love reading. Okay, here's why this is cool. This is the first time that a graphic novelist has been given an honor this high. 
Yeah, first time this post has been yeah, filled like, by a graphic And novel. I agree. I'd never heard of the post before, and these the listeners probably haven't either. But the point is... We are not teens. It exists, and it was typically well-renowned writers, fiction writers, non-fiction writers, book writers, if you will. Yeah, fancy, r- real writers. And for a comic book creator to get this honor is very cool. Yeah, very cool. absolutely. And it shows how much they're being respected now. In the press release from the Library of Congress, Yang said, quote, I'm thrilled and humbled to be appointed National Ambassador for Young People's Literature. Reading breaks down the walls that divide us. It's critical to our growth, both as individuals and as a society. I'm honored to take up that mission myself and to carry on the amazing work of the ambassadors before me. Okay, so how do you get picked for this? Like how the National Ambassador, how do you get picked to, to for this position? All right. So the National Ambassador is selected for his or her contributions to young, pe- young people's literature, uh, the ability to relate to kids and teens, okay, okay. and dedication to fostering children's literacy as a whole. Jean Luen Yang makes a lot of graphic novels and lots of them are all ages teen friendly. Right. Like he just put out a book called Secret Coders. That if you finish reading it, you will literally have a rudimentary knowledge of how to code. Like it oh, teaches cool. you as you read. That's really cool. So this is a, this is a big deal. Good for that dude. It puts more comics in front of more kids. That's great. I think he's really talented. Very deserving. Joe, you remember back in the day when they used to have the official Marvel tryout book, and that was how people were discovered. <laughs> Unless you knew John Byrne personally or something. <laughs> or something. Yeah. Well, next week, Comics Experience launches, founded by former Marvel and IDW editor Andy Schmidt, as a training ground for comic book creators. Last year, it entered a partnership with IDW to release comic books, including next week's new Gutter Magic series. Yeah, IDW is putting that out next Wednesday. Now the organization is launching four new series under their own banner through Comixology. The four titles will be released monthly following their debut on Wednesday, January 13th. And they're going to feature alumni from the company's comic book training program. Here's a list of some of the titles. Past the Last Mountain by Paul Aller, Louis Joyce, and Gannon Beck brings together a... Unlikely trio of fantasy creatures. Ganondorf, <laughs> the a, villain of Legend of Zelda. In a story of unity and survival. Karma Police by Chris Lewis. Tony Grigori, Jason Smith, and Nick J. Shaw investigates a bizarre generation-spanning mystery full of murder, intrigue, reincarnation, and even luchador demons. Yeah, that one sounds good. Well, they've got my money. Wretched Things by Devin Wong, Ken Perry, and John Hunt peers in a world where the vermin reign supreme. Deluge by J.D. Olivia and Richard P. Clark sets a thrilling crime drama against the backdrop of a post-Katrina Gulf Coast. Schmidt said, quote, the Comics Experience Digital Publishing Program is the latest way for us to help bring new, talented creators to audiences around the world and put them in front of the industry's largest publishers. This seems cool, but explain to me the difference. How is this any different from Image, for example? Where if you come in with a good idea... Well, Image decides whether or not they want to publish your book. Your book... You come to Image with your book fully right. formed, and Image says, yeah, we'll publish it. You know, like you said, it's a, a a program that people partake in that kind of helps them grow as comic creators. Right. 
And this is a service that Andy Schmidt has been running for a few years now. And this is kind of the logical progression of that. These are all people that went through the program. This is a cool And way. now they have yeah. comics. It's like going to the Joe Kubert school. And at the end of it, you immediately have a job. It's like going to the Xenon school for hairstyling. <laughs> it's like going to the Xenon <laughs> school for hairstyling. Yeah. Not to alienate all, you know, our, our haircutting listeners out there. <laughs> But yeah, I think it's super cool. They went through this program and now they have these projects that are being published through Comixology. Comixology has a lot of self-published books. There's a a whole division of Comixology called Comixology Submit. It's a huge morass of of titles. You could scan through there for hours and not know if the thing that you're looking for is any good. This, to me, it seems like it's going to jump ahead of that. It's going to be its own thing branded with a publisher's name and maybe given a little bit more prominence. It's definitely a cool way to get this stuff in front of people and guarantee the people that go through this program. Look, you're going to have a comic book in the end. You're going to work it. You're going to put it together. We're going to put it out for you on this platform. I think it's awesome. I think it's neat too. And we are community college sort of (laughs) (laughs) only Um, you actually get a job. The guys that did deluge uh, sent us a review copy. So we'll definitely talk about it next week. Cool. What's the matter? Sick of having come. So Matt, get this. This blows my f- mind. <laughs> I just I want to punch these people. Change.org is a platform for people to create petitions for causes that they find worthwhile. Sometimes they're very worthwhile. Sometimes they're not. And sometimes they are about George Lucas. Oh my god. A recent petition filed on the website requests that the executives at Disney remove Colin Trevorrow as director of Star Wars Episode 9 and bring back George Lucas to round out the new trilogy started by The Force Awakens. This, okay, this upsets me more than the things that Donald Trump says to a national audience. <laughs> this is so f- Stupid. I, I don't even know where. To all, go right, with all right. All right. All right. Here's a quote. Here's a quote from the writer of the petition. We have no problem with Colin Trevorrow, but he's not the right guy to direct Star Wars Episode nine. Based on what? The petition was drafted by Yuri Ruiz, by oh the way, God. if you want to track him down on the Internet. Uh, quote, George Lucas as director of Episode nine would be the perfect way to end this new trilogy. Oh, my God. And make an epic farewell between the father of Star Wars and the whole universe of of the galaxy far, far away, end quote. Of course, Lucas directed the original Star Wars film, as well as the much, much, much less well-regarded prequel trilogy. And unless Disney decides to take this petition to heart, Trevor Rowe will direct episode nine. Ryan Johnson directs episode eight. J.J. Uh, Abrams is kicking himself for not signing on for all three. As of this recording, this collective insanity has over 11,000 signatures. Okay, here's the thing. That's nothing. Yeah, I get it. 11,000 isn't shit, right? Okay, but Which listen, should show you but when how I, ridiculous this but is. But when I read the news story yesterday, right. it had 700. I mean, come on. Regardless, this is the internet where you can get a million signatures like that. They're up to 11,000. Not to mention the fact that... The Force Awakens is now the highest grossing film of all time. Disney doesn't have to worry about this. No one in their right mind wants George Lucas back. After episode one, two, and three, if you think that he is qualified to make another Star Wars film, you're wrong. I don't. I don't. You are wrong. But can I at least say this? 
I understand where they're coming from. No, I'm not saying I want it. I'm not saying I want it. I, I don't want it. I do not understand. I don't want and it. I do not agree. But I, the idea that the guy that created the thing won't be able to be there for the end of the thing. He sold the thing. I get it. And also he came out and called uh, Disney a bunch of white slavers. Fine. Even though he made $4 billion. I, Listen, don't take anything away I'm from saying, his successes. I'm not taking anything away from his successes. I'm saying the man. Red Tails? His biggest success <laughs> see that is creating this universe, is fathering it, is getting in the theater, is helping give birth to the independent American film movement. You know, he's already done plenty. He's fine. I thank him for what he did and his art production and his ideas. He's not a good director. He's terrible with actors. And the actors have gone on record saying this. Lawrence Kasdan and Irving Kirshner were brought in because they were like, okay, we've got a right. bunch of money and here. Here's the point here that I want to make. All of the best things of Star Wars that people look at and go, oh, man, those are not... Uh, attributed to George Lucas. Yes, that's Kasdan. The the Kirshner. best Star Wars movie of the seven of them was not directed by the man who created it. Absolutely, Lucas's wife even came in and was like, it worked with him on the script and stuff, and helped him humanize things a little bit and flesh it out. Everything you love about Star Wars is not George Lucas's. I mean, the base you people are insane. The <laughs> the base elements are George Lucas. This is ridiculous. And he does deserve credit for creating the idea. I'm done with this. Let's talk about something. Let's talk about real news. Let's talk about the lost Star Trek notes of Gene Roddenberry. They were found. Gene Roddenberry, creator of Star Trek. It's like finding King Tut's tomb. Who actually did something for that series and fathered it and took care of it and never crapped on it until after he died and then they made some Roddenberry passed away 25 years ago, but his creation has lived on in film and television. Now, the rap reports that Roddenberry's family discovered nearly 200 five and a quarter floppy disks with unseen notes from the late TV writer producer. All we have to do is back engineer a computer to read the <laughs> Good news. That's already done. Companies called uh, Drive Savers and eDiscovery announced on Monday. That after literally months of work, <laughs> they were able to access the data on those disks. That is amazing. And and pull it out. And on it was all sorts of notes and crap that he stored on him while he was still working on Star Trek. That is amazing. And I just picture them having like this warehouse full of old shit computers <laughs> like yeah some guy that's like working on vestax and apple IIe's. because <laughs> it wasn't just a matter of finding a computer right with a floppy drive it was finding the software oh my god that could like it had to be the same sort of program that he used to write those notes so there's no plans yet no there's no plans yet and for we don't notes. even know we don't know what was on that we don't know what was on there right they're being very sly about it i mean it could be a whole bunch of kirk spock erotic friend fiction i feel like there's already plenty of gene roddenberry was getting old man it's true but there is a new star trek series coming we reported on that a while ago yeah it's gonna be through that weird web series cbs netflix thing yeah i'm not really so maybe they can apply some of this to it I mean, I don't know. I highly doubt they're going to relaunch a new original Star Trek. I mean, maybe they can use this for the comics at IDW or something. That would be cool. I'd be into that. I honestly don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know what the outlet would be for this, other than adapting it to stuff I, that's I want. Now. I want them to bring back Star Wars. Uh, <sighs> I want them to bring Star Trek back to television. I, I really, totally really agree. do. I totally agree. 
you know, this this um, CBS All Access show or whatever might end up being really good. Gene Roddenberry created this thing that I love. I love well, I it so much. I don't think there's any reason why you can't take these notes and apply them to cool stuff that's already happening. Right. And whether it's the comics or the new TV show or further movies or whatever. And there is a lot of debate right now going on about how the current Star Trek is kind of straying a little bit away from what Star Trek really is. I'm it, of the mindset that that's OK as long as we have another outlet for the diplomatic Star Trek, you know, the traditional Star Trek. And that's probably going to be better on television anyway, because you can flesh out a long form story. Yeah. Rather than two hours of the Galactic Council discussing what we're going to do with this trade blockade of Naboo. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, like, remember how boring that was? That was George Lucas. (laughs) Full circle. To boldly go where no man has gone before. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or everything you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums, where I have posted an open letter to these idiots that want to bring George Lucas back. And if I find out that they have anything to do with that stupid Jar Jar Binks conspiracy that's going around on the net about how Jar Jar might be the head Sith, I'm going to go door to door handing out bloody noses and fat lips. That's not a joke. That's a threat. That's Get an it. actionable I threat. I am threatening them. This is stupid. This all stops now. Can't we just enjoy Star Wars now that it's good again? Every week, the Jar Jar to my binks posts the question of the week on the THN forums. Joey Patrick, what are we asking the nerds this week? This week's question comes from forum user, the Codger. <laughs> Whoa! I don't know. I don't know. Uh, also, hat tip to Wooly Toots. They kind of asked uh, similar questions. Jeff Hit brought this up too. I think at one point. What is your favorite song featuring comics or a comic book character? The song that, when it hits, not only do you rock out, but your inner nerd also has a special little smile for really getting it. Hey, it's going to be fun. Yeah. A music episode. I love it. You have until five o'clock central standard time this coming Friday, January 15th to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message. That's my mom's birthday. You can call and leave a message using Skype. The handles to it at nerd, all one word, or call the ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. And, uh, if you really want to make sure my mom has a happy birthday, you can send an mp3 to two at a nerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, keep it under two minutes. We'll cut you off. He doesn't care anymore. He feels nothing. Not even me. Alec Baldwin does it now. Do you blame Alec Baldwin, but... Yeah, it's the AI. I gave him more uh, responsibility. I don't know if you heard, but he's behaving much better. <laughs> I did hear. <laughs> if you need more time than that, go to the THN web forums. Write your full answer in the question of the week section. And then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's review time in the Ziggurat where Joe and I read and discuss two of this week's new comics. Then we rate them on our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. Joey Patrick. Thanks for um, pointing that out because I had forgotten how to do it. Well, regardless, you know, we have new listeners every week. Joe Patrick. That's very generous of you. You're the biggest Deadpool fan in the world. Why don't you tell us about what you read this week? You know, I did read two Deadpool comics this week. You did. I noticed. And I read two Joe Kelly comics this week. Totally on accident. Go figure. My review for this week is Spider-Man Deadpool number one 
from Marvel Comics, written by Joe Kelly with art by Ed McGinnis. It's 56 pages for $3.99. Here's the solicit. Because you demanded it! The webbed wonder and the merc with a mouth are teaming up for their first ongoing series ever! Lord knows Deadpool's not in enough books right now. Yeah. It's action, adventure, and just a smattering of bromance in this episodic epic featuring the world's greatest superhero! And the star of the world's greatest comic magazine! I thought that was Fantastic Four. Yeah, it used to be. Maybe Deadpool like co-opted it. I don't know. Talk about a real dynamic duo. That's real! Real! <laughs> Listen to the show long enough and you will hear Matt and I gush about Joe Kelly and Ed McGinnis' run on Deadpool from the mid-90s. This is the series that transformed Deadpool from a gimmicky 90s anti-hero into a real character with depth and motivation. In my eyes, every story that's come since Kelly left the book has lacked that certain something that made me care about Wade Wilson. But Rob Liefeld would be the first to tell you that he created all that was great about Deadpool. Well, he did create Deadpool. Yeah. I'm not taking that no, away from him. All the good stuff. All of it. No. <laughs> no. The pouches and the knives, yes. Yeah, that's about it. Now, Kelly and McGinnis are back, but can they recapture what made their original run so great? I don't know. Can they? Tell us, Joe Patrick. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. This is the sort of insane romp that you shouldn't expect too much character development from. Not that there aren't moments where Kelly lets the character's personality shine through, though. Spider-Man is still driven by guilt to do the right thing in every situation, no matter how ridiculous. And Deadpool is a man trying desperately to find his moral compass in the most insane ways possible. He has a nap. <laughs> he has an app, which I thought was very funny. You shake the moral compass and it yeah. tells you what to do. Well, no, he like he spins it like a, oh, like, yeah, a yeah. like a wheel like of fortune. Wheel. Kelly is a veteran writer of both of our lead characters, so he's able to capture their voices and attitudes perfectly. We also get glimpses of the worlds these characters inhabit in their solo books, but the reader isn't left wondering about any unfamiliar elements. Everything you need to enjoy the story is right there on the page. There are so many jokes packed into this issue, and so many of them are executed with perfect visuals to back them up. I can't help but wonder if Kelly kind of choreographed some of those visual elements in his script. I'm guessing. He's an, he's comes from animation now. Yeah. Like he's a big-time animation guy. He's also always kind of done that with a lot of his books. Speaking of the visuals, Ed McGinnis, inker Mark Morales, and colorist Jason Keith really kill it on this issue. McGinnis only drew the original Deadpool ongoing for something like nine issues. But he definitely created a template for the character that every artist that succeeded him has followed. The kind of visual... essential Deadpool with the weird little pointy... Where it looks like he's wearing a sock (laughs) instead of a tight mask. Yeah. Having him on our duties for Spider-Man Deadpool number one feels like an old friend coming home. I didn't say too much about the actual plot because there are so many gags packed from page to page that I didn't want to spoil too much. Except for that one thing. Right. It can be hard to see fan favorite creators returning to their signature books after so much time has passed. We talked about that in the news a little bit. Kelly and McGinnis didn't miss a single beat. I loved it. Plus, you get a reprint in here of the vision number one or number three, depending on who you ask. What? There were there were some people online saying that their version, their digital version right. came with the wrong reprint. Oh, it had the wrong reprint attached to three it. Three hasn't even come out yet. Yeah, three came out this week. Oh, it came out this week. So right. if you bought De- if you bought Deadpool digitally, you may have gotten number one. You may have gotten Deadpool <laughs> or number three. <laughs> yeah, you may have gotten two comics for three ninety nine. Okay. This issue is a steal at four bucks. I'm giving it a huge buy. It. Yeah, I didn't want to care about this. 
and kind of read it begrudgingly, and I loved it. It was it was really pretty. McGinnis just seems to get better and better. He's really toned down the manga aspect of his art and refined it to more of just a very detailed cartoonish looking style. And I love it. It lent itself perfectly here. Hydro man's in the book. He looks amazing. I mean, <laughs> and this was just a fun romp and they put the characters together for a good reason. This is I liked the hook. Yes. Yeah. It's not just like, Oh, this is what they do when they're not in 19 other books. No, like there's actually a reason here. It was kind of heartfelt. I liked it. I'm giving this a buy it. They did a sort of similar thing when they had the cable and Deadpool series a few years ago. Yeah. They had, they came up with an in-story reason why these guys would spend so much time attached at the hip. Right. It had less to do with them liking each other or trying to be better and more to do with like crazy science accident. But I liked the idea that there's a reason for it. It's not just happening because of, you know, dollar signs. Right. Of course, that's why it's happening. But at least they came up with an excuse. Matt Baum, tell me about the return of Swamp Thing. Well, it was an emotional one for me. Swamp Thing number one from DC, not Vertigo, written by Len Wein with art by Kelly Jones. So it's 32 pages for $2.99. Alec Holland returns to the DC universe as the big green Swamp Thing, along with his original co-creator, Len Wein, writing. I want to start here by thanking Mr. Ween for all his comic work, past and present. I love the first volume of The Swamp Thing that Ween worked on with Bernie Wrightson in 1972. Some of my favorite comic books. I own a complete run of it. They're in amazing shape. It is an amazing story that fleshed out one of my favorite DC characters and set The Swamp Thing on a course to become the star of one of DC's premier horror comics. This new iteration of Swamp Thing is extremely reminiscent of Ween's old work on the title, but that's not necessarily a good thing. The story opens with the Swamp Thing back in the bayou, a brief history of the character, and then a fight with an alligator. There's nothing wrong with the setup, and Kelly Jones' art is really perfect for the story, but Ween immediately has Alec cracking jokes. He quips about being ticked off that the alligator he calls Albert would even take a shot at him, saying, quote, you try and take a piece out of me, friend. All you're going to get is a mouthful of muck. I don't know if he sounds like Cletus a slack-jawed yogle, though. It sounds more like Wolverine in the 80s than the Alec Holland I know. The story moves on with a couple seeking the Swamp Thing's help to find their son, who, while attending the Crowley College for Evolving Arts, no doubt a state-funded <laughs> school named after a black magician, was killed voluntarily by the professor of his life-after-death class. No spoilers here, but Laszlo Wormwood, yep, that's the kid's name, is only mostly dead. <laughs> the story here is just silly, and if DC's excited about Mr. Ween's choice to go in this 1950s EC comics direction with the book, I don't understand why. There's not much here that worked for me at all. Ween tries to bounce from Hellboy-esque dialogue to way over-the-top Tomb of Dracula-style narration. I know it's not fair to judge a serialized story based on what I liked best about the character in the past, but this was just completely out of character from the Alec Holland that I know and love. Kelly Jones is a weird artist. And I'm in the camp that loves the guy. And I enjoyed a lot of the art here. It wasn't always consistent. There's a couple panels where Swamp Thing looks like the child of a professional wrestler and Sasquatch, but still enough of his unique horror style to grab onto. 
the Swamp Thing is my favorite DC character. I plan on reading this until its conclusion, like I've done with all the previous volumes. I just don't understand what DC is going for here, other than watering the character down a bit to make him more relatable, maybe? The, the thing is, I don't read Swamp Thing to relate to the character. And there's already plenty of other titles starring wisecracking, cigar-chomping curmudgeons. I don't need my Avatar of the Green to act like Wolverine also. I can only give this a skim it. See, and I think you're way off base. I, you gotta be kidding me. I'm not. I, I'm glad you brought up the thing about judging this book based on what you wanted it to be and right. not what it is. Because when I saw what your rating was before we started... I thought that's what you were doing. And I get all the things that you're saying. This isn't the same Alec Holland. This is a different kind of Alec Holland where the original Swamp Thing, which I, th I think is still in continuity. Yeah, it somehow is. it is. Was not really Alec Holland. No, we found out later on he was a plant that thought he was a man. Right. Yeah. But this actually is Alec Holland. No, because he even says in it, I'd rather be a man for one more minute than a plant for a million years. Yeah, right. He's not. He, he's, he's but still a plant. I get where you're going with the this. original. The Vertigo Swamp thing was never Alec Holland. Right. It but was just this like, had version his, is Alec Holland. Or, he became the Swamp Thing. That was the whole end right. plot of Brightest Day where it's like you have to actually become Swamp Thing. Right. And, and uh, I get that, but. So this is a different character. This is he has more of his humanity intact as far as his um, his mind goes. But even that Alec Holland didn't act like this. And they're still referencing the Parliament of Trees, the Avatar of the Green. So they're trying to have it both ways. Right. I think that's just to signal, hey, that stuff all still counts. But we're trying to go in a different direction with it. I thought it felt like a throwback. I thought this felt like an issue of the original swamp thing in in tone where you've got the character just kind of wandering around the swamp where he suddenly he's attacked by a wild animal he's got to defend himself and then he stumbles upon a plot this is straight out of the lynn wine bernie writes and swamp thing it is it's just not a return um, i need you know i will agree that he was a little bit more verbose yeah but that's how he was in the last volume too it's not like the 80s swamp thing that had such a hard time talking that there's Two words and an ellipsis every... <laughs> right. And to be fair, my favorite, the Swamp Thing that I fell in love with was really Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. And I enjoyed where they took the character from that direction. I think Alan Moore gave the character the direction it really needed. Him and Rick Veach really did some amazing stuff with that. And that's the Swamp Thing that, in my opinion, we all love. We are thankful to Mr. Ween and Mr. Wrightson for their Swamp Thing, their original one, but you got to admit, that character was not very interesting. Well, The best things that happened in Swamp two, Thing happened later. They're two different yes. characters. Why return to the one that's not as interesting? I don't necessarily agree that it's not as interesting. A man trapped in the body of a monster just trying to survive and being forced into these situations, that's kind of fun. That's, that's I like, Hellboy. I like that's, the Incredible Hulk as well, you know, but <laughs> I just feel like there's a lot of that out there already. I don't know. I liked it. I thought the art was creepy and cool. Kelly Jones, like you said, he's like a weirdo. Kelly he's a total but weirdo. But it, it totally fits this book. I liked it in, in the sense that it kind of recaptured an older tone okay. a, a, a more traditional tone 
it's not that I didn't love the crazy Alan Moore stuff or even the uh, Scott Snyder, Jeff Lemire stuff, or no, Scott Snyder, Charles Soule. Yeah. But as, just as a classic monster, it just felt, misunderstood. Just felt dumbed down to me. I liked it. I'm giving it a buy it. I just really enjoyed it. Whatever, Debbie. Is a double buy it for Spider-Man Deadpool and a buy it and a skim it for Swamp Thing. Now, grab your best plant buddy, team up, and beat the hell out of us with your opinions of these comics over at the THN Forums. For five days now, Matt and I have been trying to peacefully negotiate with a group of heavily armed, red-necked lizard tribesmen that has taken over the THN Thunderdome claiming we built it on sacred lizard man grounds. Completely ignoring the fact that they stole the particular cavern from the peaceful mole people, now relegated to reservation life even deeper. This isn't the first time we've had trouble with these good old lizard boys either. Remember last year when their grand lizard wizard was raising a stink about letting their slugs graze on protected mushroom caverns? Oh god, don't get me started. Matt, I am done with this lizard militia bullshit. If these were cave trolls, we would have gunned them down on day one. Probably true. I say we head out there and treat them like the terrorists they are, while we review 10 more of this week's and last week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Deadpool, Cable, split second, number one from Marvel. Fabian Nicieza and Riley Brown reunite the bosom buddies Cable and Deadpool for a wild romp third time we've used the word romp this episode across the time stream it gets a little silly just as you would expect and there are plenty of twists and turns as the characters take a tour of their history together here's where it gets a little hinky i couldn't find a print copy anywhere and that's what came out this week right a 4.99 print version cable deadpool or deadpool cable split second number one right i think that the print version is a reprint of several chapters of the digital Infinite comic that launched in November. Huh. And I couldn't find any reference to how much of the story the print version collects. For five bucks, I hope it's at least a few chapters worth. It's like a mystery? Yeah, well, I couldn't find it anywhere. Weird. As for the story itself, it's fun, but it seems pretty inconsequential despite the cosmic time hopping. It certainly isn't bad, but I don't know that it hooked me enough to keep going with it and that was after five chapters. Mm. I read five chapters. That's how many of the digital are out. And it's still going. Yeah. Which means there's going to be more of this $5 print thing, too. All right. So I'm giving Deadpool Cable split second number one or number one through five or whatever you want to call it. A skim it. Because it's good. Not great. You probably don't need it. And we have no idea what it is. <laughs> and I, I have no idea what the print version looks like. You can mention that, Marvel. Come on. This collects... Yada yada. I looked up this, the solicit on the Diamond Comics distributor's website. No mention of it even being a reprint. And nothing in the book? Nothing. That's just... Well, no, I read it digital. I read the digital, so oh, there would be okay. no mention. The last contract, number one from Boom. This is the story of an aging, retired hitman who suddenly has a contract on his own head. I know we've seen this in the pages of Warren Ellis' Red and on screen recently with Keanu Reeves' John Wick, but stay with me. 
Captain Canuck and the violent writer Ed Brisson puts a solid twist on the story, making the hitman so old that no one sees him as a threat. Imagine Columbo if he was a professional murderer. <laughs> There's a scene where he's coaxing info out of a mob boss in his pajama pants. I, I wouldn't turn my back on Columbo. He forgot to put on his regular clothes. <laughs> it's really solid art and fantastic colors here, both by Lissandro Estherin. I'm sorry if I screwed up your name, man. Hey, that dude drew a book that I'm reviewing this week. Lissandro? Yeah. Oh, no. Huge buy it for last contract number one. Four Eyes, Hearts of Fire from Image. I am so happy for more Four Eyes by Joe Kelly and Max Fuyumara. Never read it. Oh, it's great. It's the story of a young boy following his following in his murdered father's footsteps into the world of underground dragon fighting. Here, Fuyumara opts for a grayscale color palette with only occasional splashes of color and the results are beautiful. The downside is that it's been a long time since the last series, and this issue isn't the best entry point for new readers, but the original run is definitely worth checking out. I'm going to give Four Eyes Hearts of Fire number one a buy it, because I think it's great. But it's important to read the back matter. It is very helpful to read the, the back material, but I think you'll probably catch up. Okay. Code Peru number one from Avatar. The solicit here talks about a woman that wanted to join the NY Fire Department as a paramedic, but instead gets assigned to a detail that deals with real-life monsters living in modern-day New York. Well, we is Prue her name? Yeah, her name is Prudence. Ugh. We don't see any of that in this first issue, but we do get a very smart and funny script by Ennis and very good black and white art by Raulo Caceres, who's probably the best artist Avatar has working in their house style. And you know what I mean, that weird, gory, very realistic yeah. horror style. Mm -hmm. This was clever, not quite restrained, but not quite as over the top as Ennis's other Avatar stuff. I'm giving Code Prue a buy it even though the name is a terrible pun. It really was fun to read. A-Force, number one from Marvel. The A-Force ongoing picks up right where the Secret Wars tie-in mini ended, sort of. The quirky singularity remembers everything that happened on Battleworld, but her teammates don't. Now she has to try to assemble a group of strangers to battle a cosmic menace. It was pretty cute because she bounces from character to character acting like they're best friends because she spent all this time with them on Battleworld, and oh. they're like, who the f*** is this? <laughs> this was a really fun read, courtesy of G. Willow Wilson and Jorge Molina. Reading the mini before jumping onto this will help provide some context. But I didn't. I, I only read A-Force number one uh, from Secret Wars and didn't keep up with it. It really wasn't that big of an obstacle. If you're looking for a team book with lots of personality to go with the action, then A-Force number one is a buy it. Lone Wolf 2100, number one from Dark Horse. This is another futuristic take on the classic samurai manga Lone Wolf and Cub. In the future, only this time, writer Eric Hessier replaces Mike Kennedy and gives readers a rehashed eye vampire script complete with a virus, the Thrall, that turns humans into green goblins, I guess, instead of vampires. Ito, the android protecting Ogami, a little girl that has the virus but shows no signs of infection, and therefore may be the key to its cure. You get it. Uh, shows this is just the image comic spread. Ito shows no emotion as he kills both infected human goblins and human gangs that want to kill the infected and Ito because, hey, it may be the future, but there's still hicks with guns. There wasn't much to grab onto here. Even the art by Miguel Sepulveda, who I've really liked in the past, was unremarkable at best. I can only give this a skim it. It was boring. Spook, number one from Red 5. This was a fun read from Joshua Starnes and 
Lissandro Estherin. There he is again. About a government agent investigating a series of crimes, only to find out that he is not prepared to deal with the forces truly responsible. It looks like they're kind of setting up a Hellboy, Ghostbusters, X-Files matchup. And I really dig it. Great art by Estherin. Yeah, he's good. Spook number one gets a buy it. Check it out. Oh boy, why do we keep doing this to ourselves? I know. Uncanny X-Men number one from Marvel. In the final pages of BM Bendis' Uncanny X-Men, he showed us an almost tear-jerking scene where Cyclops brought all the mutants together on the Capitol steps and showed the world the mutant race assembled was not an army to destroy humanity, just a bunch of people like you and me. From there, Marvel seems to have taken a on that idea and formed a new scary X-Force-style murder force of X-Men led by Magneto, along with Monet de la Croix, Psylocke, Angel, who has returned to his blue apocalypse Angel of Death look that shoots sharp spatulas out of his metal wings Wait, for what? reasons, I guess, and the only character still affected by the inversion spell cast by the Scarlet Witch and Doctor Doom in the pages of Access. Sabre Tooth. Yay! Good guy Sabre Tooth. Here's my question. If Sabre Tooth is not killing anyone anymore, why is he on this team? He's only killing bad guys. And why is he okay with the rest of the team killing people? So many questions and so much mediocre dialogue and plotting by Cullen Bunn, who we both love. On the positive side, the art by Greg Land is fine. But the X-Books... That is not a pl that is not a plus. I didn't hate it. I'm saying that. <laughs> I've hated Land for quite a while. But the X-Books seem to be struggling in the aftermath of Secret War. I don't care about this uncanny X-Men team at all. I'm giving this a leave it. I haven't read this yet, but I'm going to say that the idea that Cyclops or anybody involved with the X-Men, I guess it makes sort of sense with Magneto, but they would be okay with forming a murder squad to... Yeah. to to put hits out on their enemies is so antithetical to the X-Men. Well, okay, to be fair... That, that's part of the, the problem. This isn't X-Force. This It's not that violent, but they are definitely proactively going after people, scaring them. So they're not and acting assassins. Like, no, they're more like terrorists. How the hell did Archangel turn back into Archangel? No idea. They don't mention it either. He's just there, and he's blue, and he's shooting spatulas again. I don't know. Maybe this happened in another book and I'm not remembering. Star anyway. Wars, Obi-Wan and Anakin, number one from Marvel. We'll be back next week for more Angel Talk on <laughs> Angel Cast. <laughs> I was dreading this when it was announced. I don't really feel the need to revisit the time period of the Star Wars prequels. I don't care. See our comments earlier in the big news. <laughs> but of course, Lando writer Charles Soule and Shattered Empire artist Marco Cheeschito his name is not Marco Cheese Cheeto. It's Marco Chichetto or Chichetto. Delivered a perfectly excellent story about Obi-Wan and his apprentice following a distress call to a planet that has little use for Jedi. There's a neat twist that I've never really seen before, I don't think. And I think this could shape up to be something really fun. I'm giving Obi-Wan and Anakin a buy it. I'm not super interested in going back to that well, but doesn't matter. This good. was well done. A good story is a good story. Yep, exactly. Dreaming Eagles, number one from Aftershock. Garth Ennis tells the story of a Tuskegee Airman, a fictional character named Reggie Atkinson, who was one of the first black pilots in World War II, recounting his experience to his son in America in the 60s. The main character may be fictional, but the story is based on true events. Here, Atkinson talks to his son, a young man inspired by Dr. Martin Luther King's speeches in the 1960s about his time in the war and how the black man at that time faced a different type of racism, whereas in the 60s, it was becoming activism. 
and his son sort of looks at his father like he just sort of puts up with things and allows racism to take place when his father was a part of this amazing group of pilots that had never existed in the army before the story is fantastic this deals with the racial tensions of the 60s very well. It nails the historical perspective of a World War II vet. This is a first fantastic issue of Dreaming Angels with solid art by 2000 AD Simon Colby. Go find this and buy it. Wrench! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Wrench is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of Magneto. Tearing the back off a truck, as seen in Uncanny X-Men number one. I'm getting really tired of the Magneto. Oh, I'm super powerful. Oh, my powers. Oh, that's really bothering me. I got a stomach ache. You know, <laughs> I'm sick of it. <laughs> Joe, I don't want to make the death of one of my personal rock gods all about me. But Ian Fraser Kilmeister, that's his real name, better known as Motorhead's frontman Lemmy, died last week. And I took it pretty hard. I'll give you. It's a miracle dude made it to 70. It seemed only appropriate to decorate the THN Sanctum Sanctorum in leather and empty whiskey bottles and have our friend Madame Xanadu, dressed as a trashy 80s groupie, of course, contact the recently deceased Lemmy to talk about next week's comics. Joey, what is your must-read comic pick for next week? My pick for next week is Secret Wars number 9 from Marvel Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman. Maybe the last Marvel comic book ever written by Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> With art by his side Ribbick, it's 56 pages for four ninety nine. Do you think they drug him out back and shot him when he was down? <laughs> <laughs> Here's your solicit. Genesis! That's it. That's the whole thing. <laughs> you just upset it made the, It made the <laughs> bugs bark. Really upset peeps. They hated Secret Wars. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time coming. I got to see how it ends. I have enjoyed it up to this point. We talked about it at length on previous episodes. Yeah, it's been fun. And I'm really excited to see what they do. I hope they explain what the hell's going on with the Marvel Universe. I, at least the structure of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I got to say, it feels really castrated just because of all the new stuff that's already out. You know, I mean, we'll see. It just we'll lost see. its steam. Bad execution. We'll see what happens. I'm going to read it. I'm excited. Yeah. And also, they tacked on an issue. Yeah, but they don't. They didn't. The other issues didn't really seem padded out. So, no. I mean, may, maybe Hickman genuinely just needed the extra space. So we will see. I am excited. Matt, what's your pick? I am going with Spirit Leaves, number one from Chapter House. Same people put out Captain Canuck, second Captain Canuck reference of the show, if you're counting. Written and drawn by Rossi Gifford, thirty-two pages for three ninety-nine. Here's your solicit. Scottish-born Rossi Gifford's quarterly debut has been hailed as a beautifully rendered surreal adventure by Ramon Perez. And if that guy says it, it's probably pretty good. And a dynamic That's and true. and a dynamic and involving with a gorgeous and a dynamic and involving with a gorgeous color palette. Okay. I don't Just think leave out the word a. a. Yeah. And dynamic and involving with a gorgeous color palette by Dave Gibbons. That guy? Dave Gibbons said this. Freya, an albino deer girl training to be a shaman, sets off to the mystical forest to find out what is causing an imbalance. Along the journey, she meets a wolf boy looking for the same entity, and they agree to find it together. Both are determined to pursue this force and prove they are capable on their own. But how do you stop a demon? Sounds boring. I mean, it sounds fantasy and whatever, but the art 
looks amazing. Sounds like the sort of fantasy that Joe hates. Oh, I, I'm going to love it. I'm going to make you read it next week. All right, whatever. <laughs> Tell him about the trade of the week, Joe. The trade of the week is Rosalie Lightning, a graphic memoir. Sounds boring. <laughs> this is from St. Martin's. <laughs> this is from St. Martin's Press, written and illustrated by Tom Hart. It's 272 pages for $19.99. You can't afford not to buy it. What, are you kidding me? Here's your solicit. Rosalie Lightning is Eisner-nominated cartoonist Tom Hart's beautiful and touching graphic memoir about the untimely death of his young daughter, oh, See, now Rosalie. I feel like a total asshole. Yeah, you should. <laughs> his heartbreaking and emotional illustrations strike readers to the core and take them along his family's journey through loss. Hart creatively portrays the solace he discovers in nature- philosophy, great works of literature, and art across all mediums in this expressively honest and loving tribute to his baby girl. Hart uses the graphic form to articulate his and his wife's ongoing search for meaning in the aftermath of Rosalie's death, exploring themes of grief, hopelessness, rebirth, and eventually finding hope again. Open letter to Mr. Hart. I was kidding when I said this sounds boring. You tell, ugh, God. It sounds amazing. It looks amazing. 20 bucks for almost 300 pages. Tom Hart is a very well-regarded cartoonist. I think that this should be uh, really great. Joe, madam, I want to thank you both for helping me get some closure. And to you, Mr. Lemmy, if the afterlife is half as cool as your real life was, you're in for one hell of a ride, brother. Thank you for teaching punks and metalheads everywhere how to get along. I will never forget you. You! Super boy, I tell him. Hey, I got a new dance for y'all. It's called the Super Boy. But you gotta punch that crank back three times to the left and to the right and the back a little bit. Oh, yeah. My name is Joe. Watch me crank it. Watch me roll. Watch me diss that Super Boy. Ain't Super Matches, Joe. Now watch me, you. Crank that Super Boy. Now watch me, you. Diss that Super Boy. Now watch me, you. Diss that Super Boy. Superboy, my name is Joe. Watch me lean and watch me rock. Superman, this flow. Then we watch Frank Miller's Robocop. Super fresh like Dwayne the Rock. TK'd all them haters, man. When I diss that Superboy, I tend to the left and crank that thing. I look at you, you frightened. And if we get the fighting, then I'll bitch slap all your titans. You catch me at the Star Labs. Yes, I crank it every day. Haters getting mad because Project Cadmus, my new base. Ooh. You didn't do all the parts. You're supposed to like jump in and go. You now you. You're supposed to be my hype man. Oh, I was laughing way too hard. I apologize. It's been a while, but the comic pushers are rolling up in their six four with their mind on some comics and some comics on their minds. I don't even have any gin or juice. Here's how it works. You post on the comic pushers section of the THN forums, or give us a call. Or email us an MP3 and ask these two fly gangsters what you should be reading. For example, this time a glass tube sucking skis named Ian the Villain asks, Despite the massive delays, I've really enjoyed this recent Secret Wars event. However, I haven't had much exposure to most Marvel events. I've read the majority of all DC's big events over the years, but missed most of Marvel's until recently. The majority of Marvel's events seem to have mixed reviews, which makes it hard to tell which are worth reading or are important to understanding more of the Marvel Universe. Could you guys please suggest some other Marvel events that are worth checking out? 
I'll have you know that's exactly what Ian sounds like. We know what Ian sounds like. It is nothing like that. You sounded like one of the mole people from that Tick episode where they meet Cindy Crawford. <laughs> kind of. But they love my impersonations. I do them. Joey, Ian wants to read some Marvel events. What are we throwing at him? Yeah, so, I mean... I guess it depends on how far back he's already gone. Also, your definition of event, because there's like events that take place with everybody coming together. Secret Wars, for example. And then there's other events like Spider Island, which is like a big, you know, sweeping Spider-Man story that moves through those books. Uh, if we're talking about Marvel events proper and you want to kind of go back to the the modern age of Marvel, like what started us on the path we're on now, I'd say that probably starts right around... That's Avengers Disassembled. Wow. That's new pretty, Avengers. It's going pretty far back. It is. But that's kind of everything that's led to where we are now stems from that. Really? I'll give you that. Avengers Disassembled. I did not like. I didn't particularly uh, care for it either. I, I think it made a lot of really bad leaps and did a lot of damage to a lot of characters that was not really healed until many years later. The first big event after Avengers Disassembled, which is a which was an actual company wide event, was House of M, which I quite enjoy. Yeah, House of M was a good time. Uh, the story of House of M is that uh, Scarlet Witch has kind of gone bye bye uh, mentally. Well, they sort of discovered that there was something wrong with the Scarlet Witch. Right. Uh, she well, was Scarlet Witch was spoilers. Scarlet Witch was the main villain of Avengers disassembled, but right. nobody really knew it until it was too late in house of M. Uh, we discover that Quicksilver and Magneto have been trying to nurse Wanda back to health and they kind of trick her or convince her to use her vast reality, manipulating powers to create a world where mutants are the ruling class. And uh, that's where house of M come from comes from. So Magneto is like the king of, the world basically and mutants are first class citizens and everyone else is a second class minority subconsciously Wanda the Scarlet Witch wanted to give all of her friends their deepest desires so when they wake up in the house of M world Spider-Man is married to Gwen Stacy and Uncle Ben yeah. is alive and all this fun stuff this is where we get kind of the start the rise of Carol Danvers so that's a really fun story I love house of M house of M was really cool I had a good time with that one well, I think I think there's kind of a, a trifecta of events that are pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed Secret Invasion. Yeah, Secret Invasion was a really good time. And then uh, that led to a year long kind of not an event per se, but more of a status quo. At the end of Secret Invasion, Norman Osborn finds himself in charge of national security because yeah. nobody but nobody knows that he's a crazy villain. And so all of the heroes are outlaws, basically, and you and it's called Dark Reign, where yeah, um, he's great time getting all of his cronies to like fill these not cabinet positions, but like he's bringing them on to be his enforcers and to right. enforce the rule of law. And, and we so get, like, you Dark got, Avengers and stuff, yeah, which was a wonderful book. And then that culminated in a very simple four issue event called Siege. Which is just slam bang, nothing but the heroes rising up and yeah. saying enough is enough. Norman shows his true colors and the Avengers and the, the collected heroes finally band together and stop him once and for all. And that kind of ushers in a new heroic age where in the time following Civil War, which is another big event, there was this big divide with heroes fighting each other. And right. you had heroes on the side of law and heroes on outlaw that were outlaws. And while we're at it, you should probably read Civil War. 
Civil War is good. I don't like the ending. I, the ending wasn't great, but it was a good story. It was fun. And we're going to get the Captain America Civil War movie coming up real quick here. So it'd be fun to see where, you know, this stuff actually came from. Yeah. I would read it. Civil War so, was a good So um, I think House of M came first. Civil War was next. Yes. After that, you had this kind of schism between the heroes. And so in the trilogy from Secret Invasion to Dark Reign to Siege... You see the conclusion of that where the heroes are finally reunited and it's this kind of new age where the good guys are good guys. There's yeah. not all this um, crazy infighting until they get back to crazy infighting. Well, yeah, which they do <laughs> with but, the Avengers versus X-Men. <laughs> but that that was like a it was like hitting the release valve after a really long time because those books came out years apart. Yeah. And so the status quo of heroes fighting heroes was the way it was in Marvel Comics for a number of years. And Siege, I thought, was just a great... It was wonderful. Kind of a palate cleanser. Yeah. And it was it was right on the heels of the return of uh, Steve Rogers. He would come back from Ooh. from the not dead. Yeah. Who's <laughs> <laughs> feeling much better. <laughs> so I really liked those events. So let's break it down in order. But the events that have followed those, you had Fear Itself. Right. You had um, oh, Original Sin. Yeah. These are events that I did not like so much. Yeah, it kind of fell flat. But look, so let's break it down to him for him right now in order. I think it's worth reading Avengers Disassembled if you just want the context okay. of where they their status quo is at the time. So but Avengers Disassembled. <clears throat> House of M. House of M. Civil War. Civil War. Secret, Secret Invasion. Invasion. Siege. Siege. Dark Reign, like we said, is more of like a status quo. So the right. The regular books from that time period will fill in those gaps. So there you go. There's like five huge events for you to dive into. This just in from the forums, not the forums, from the Periscope. There are other events that were still big, but they were relegated to a small corner of the Marvel Universe, like right. Annihilation. Yeah. And Annihilation... Um, Basically set up the Guardians of the Galaxy as we know them. Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest... Really great. Wonderful. Those stuff. are great stories, and the books that spun out of them, also great. There's two more for you. Jesus. I'm your pusher man. Ian, we hope you dig these, and we want you to read some of them. Go to the forums. Write where you posted your question. Respond. Let us know what you thought of what the comic pushers picked out for you. And if you are listening right now going, oh, man, I want the comic pushers to tell me what to read, head over to the forums. Post your stuff. Send us an email. We're going to tell you how to do all of that shortly here i don't know i think this installment ended my rapping career because now i feel like my throat's gonna close up <laughs> sort of sort break it break it down like this and that is it for the back to biz episode of thn if you dig podcasts that make fun of militiamen and worship famous drunks you can subscribe to the show on itunes stitcher or tune in and while you're there leave us your star ratings your reviews your thumbs up and your hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners every time you do that they see the ratings and it kicks us up a little higher in search results and stuff like that we need your help get this our friend john the body literal <laughs> he's our latest donor oh man all we had to do is make fun of the guy mercilessly <laughs> what a guy if you want to help support thn you can do so by clicking our paypal button at twoheadednerd.com thank you very much john to become a sustaining member it's as easy as clicking the make this donation monthly box and as little as a buck a month really does help. But seriously, John, $500 a month? That was so nice of you. <laughs> Above wow. and beyond. Wow. <laughs> I'll quit my job for $500 a month. No, wait a minute. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, sponsorship, 
for those of you that have, we will be getting back to you very soon. <laughs> if you want to yell at us personally, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com. There, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. For those of you who can't get enough, we also live broadcast this awful start-stop stuttering show on Periscope every Saturday and morning. And five of you really seem to enjoy it. <laughs> and yes, to answer your question, I think those little Periscope hearts do count for something. They totally do. Here comes a bunch of them. Look. <laughs> if you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our old friend Bob Beerbomb, who suffered a small stroke just before New Year's. Bob's become kind of a legendary figure in the industry as a longtime Golden Age dealer and comics historian. Infamous, if you will. Don't forget Womanizer. He won't hear this, but word to you, Bob. We're sending you our best wishes from the depths of the ziggurat. Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer might forcibly occupy your bathroom until you do. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.